1: Welcome to the Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who have made a difference in women's health, equality and relationships. Each week we chat to an inspiring human being as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook, promising not only to educate, but also to entertain and enlighten. This week on the Happy Vagina, we are honoured to be joined by Ruby Rare. Sex educator and body positive campaigner on a mission to get people talking more confidently and inclusively about sex. Ruby, welcome to the Happy Vagina. Hey, thanks for having me. We've we've chatted a little bit in the past together, and I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. Uh, you've also graced our coming soon pants in <laughs> in a uh, lot last summer. The Happy Vagina coming soon pants and. I think for anyone that's listening that doesn't know who you are, would you just share a little bit about how you came into this work and kind of where you sit with it today? Yeah, of course. Um,
2: I I always wish that I had a, like, I don't know, i I really, like, juicy story. Uh, I've I've said it before, like, how if someone has a scar, they really want, like, a very exciting, dramatic story about how they got the scar, and then actually they just, like, found their knee on a, like on a table or something. Um, so sexual health and sex education kind of came into my life in a really, in a really wonderful and quite accidental way, um, in my early twenties. And it was really all through Brooke, the young People's sexual health charity, which I worked for for five years and I earned my sexual health stripes with, and um, I'm now really proud to be one of their ambassadors. Um, before Before Brooke, I I didn't really know that you could work in sexual health. I know that Mm -hmm. that sounds kind of weird, but it didn't feel, you know, the way that we talk about sex positivity and our bodies and our sex lives has changed really dramatically over the last 10 years and even the last five years, in terms of like the visibility of these conversations online and offline. So when I was at university and when I was growing up, this was not a conversation that I heard. This is mm. not something that was around. I I work with university aged young people now and mm. the conversations they are having blow my mind and are so amazing. And I just did not have any access to that. So
3: mm.
2: when I was growing up, if there was ever a conversation about sex or like, heaven forbid, it would involve pleasure or anything queer related, um uh, my ears would prick up and I'd be really excited to talk about that and then the conversation would kind of drift away and people would start chatting about something else and I just want to stay talking about all the sexy stuff mm. and I feel really really grateful to have found Brooke when I did and I started volunteering there as a young person um, and then just worked my way up and up I have done loads of different sexual health jobs I've, I've gone into schools and delivered relationship and sex education to like probably thousands of young people uh, I've delivered professional trainings about how to make conversations about sex more inclusive and more accessible and positive and I've given out me and my team at Brooke about three years ago gave out like close I think it was like 85,000 condoms in one London borough in a year <laughs> did that and I've, I've done work around period poverty as well um, and at the same time as working with Brooke I was starting to lead workshops and have conversations with an adult audience and I really quickly realized that adults have very similar questions about sex <laughs> still mm. um, to the conversations and questions I get from young people you know mm. we're all still wanting to learn and explore and we we always have questions we're humans we're like curious people Mm. so that's that's when I started to think about things uh think about sex education for adults and started to talk about this more on Instagram and I feel very lucky that people really wanted to hear what I what I want to say with that Mm. um and I just try to I know that there are a lot of really challenging things when it comes to sex in our bodies it's, it's a really difficult thing to talk about there are lots of really complicated aspects of our sexual identities and I don't want to pretend that they don't exist they do mm. in my life they do in everyone's lives mm. but so often when we are shown messages around sex and bodies it's the negatives first and then mm. the positives come after. And I just want to switch that around. I think it's really empowering to hear the positives first of all. Mm. And then you get to the, the complicated, challenging mm. stuff. But like, mm.
1: you know, pleasure first. I just mm.
2: think that's super important.
1: Just, just. I know this might sound like a stupid question, but that's what I'm here for. Um, what would you say is a negative first impression of sex? And what is a positive? This is really a personal question. I'm not asking you to define the next um uh, sex education in our school systems although I think you I might like that. you might be the woman <laughs> with the job I'm I'm willing to put you forward for it however <laughs> I really mean like what do you feel would be if there were five things or actually doesn't let's not have a number just tell me what you think the negative first impressions are and what should sure. they be well most people if they receive
2: some form of sex education at when they are school aged which you know is not everyone in this country <laughs> certainly not everyone globally um the messages that most of us receive are incredibly heteronormative so they are about a cis man and a cis woman having penetrative pee in the penis and vagina sex mm. um as yes, you can is... say that on
1: here
2: yes, yeah. and you can swear <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> which is you know it's that's a lovely type of sex but that's one type of many many infinite ways of having sex right um so it's very prescriptive in terms of what sex looks like. It's very focused on don't get pregnant when you're young. Don't get an STI. Terrible things will happen to you if either of these things occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, we're, we're talking about consent more now. But what I'm finding in, in still lots of the conversations is a very oversimplistic Uh, version of just like no means no we know that it's a lot more complicated than that and also there's there's a lot of fear around getting consent right there's a lot of fear around getting relationships right rather than you know the flip side of that is starting all of these conversations around STIs around conception and pregnancy around consent healthy relationships gender identity sexual orientation Mm. starting them with questions rather Mm. than statements Mm. and it's like giving giving people regardless of their age but I think it's especially important for young people Mm. giving people the opportunity to express their opinions and Mm. giving providing an environment for those opinions to be looked at and Mm. I and you know questioned because this this shouldn't be a space where we are like just just giving statements to people and telling them what to do because this is such a unique and you know individual subjective part of all of our lives how how we navigate that is really really individual and I I want want to see spaces that tailor to that
1: for sure and I just learned that the vulva the every single woman's vulva's nerve system so the nerves that come through and feed your vulva they're unique like a snowflake which I know sounds like really really obvious however I still was like oh yeah of course so and I know that you're talking about an even bigger level of 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 identity and 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 that this quality of curiosity that you describe Ruby should be uh the, the first thing it's like who are you as a person what do you like to feel that should mm. be where we come come that's what I'm hearing you say we should come to sex act. but when you break it down and actually understand that every single every single person's body is completely different in the way the nervous is. it's kind of obvious. It's like, okay, this is just anatomy. Yeah.
2: We're, we're so obsessed with averages, I think, like, in general, but especially when we come to sex, you know, like, what does the average penis look like? How long is sex supposed to last? What's yes. the average? How how often do a couple, do like, long-term couples have sex? Yes. And averages are really fucking boring. Because I know. It's not, it, it's not representative of... First of all, these statistics are not representative of like the human population because the average represents like such a broad range of uh, difference and diversity. And it's much more interesting if we look at that diversity and accept and and celebrate the whole spectrum of it than try to identify one really narrow thing. Because the average, if if we just look to the average, almost everyone is going to feel shit about themselves because they don't fall within that average you know, that's not, it's not like a healthy way to be. It's really nice to not be that.
1: Also, as you know, because with our our, our Monday Mythbusters and Friday Fills on the Happy Vagina feed, we do actually quite often use those averages, but they're for sure impactful. But I can say, and I do often say this in the follow-up, that these averages are often based on a survey of 45 people you know if you really i just have just recently been doing some work on the gender health gap and i suddenly realized that some of the stuff i was saying when i looked back and back and back through the articles the original article was a with all of these statistics come from a survey of 100 people and i was like this is not correct information um and and also
2: who who are those 100 people because i I also think statistics are really important (laughs) in terms of educating and starting conversations but we've got to be really careful about how we use them because a lot of statistics are like based around cis people and based around like largely white people and you know a lot of other identities that really serve the the kind of the norm patriarchal norm yes and everyone needs to I'd love to find a way where statistics really feel like they they serve and they speak to everyone because it's, it's really hard to look at those kinds of statistics when you massively fit outside of that category yes um so yeah it's they're they're an interesting tool but i think when we when we live our sex lives like (laughs) try just trying to be like fit into those statistics as much as possible we're doing ourselves a disservice
1: yes and you are a leading light in not uh, shoehorning yourself into anything that you are not, Ruby, and I and I love you for that. And 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 things are changing. You touched on it. You know, you 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 know, you said that in the last five years things have changed significantly. But you, this work that you do, initially with young people and then with adults, you identify yourself as queer and non-monogamous, which I think even being able to say that out loud as a a thing to to not feel. Uh, This may not be true for you, but I know that many, many people in my family or growing up friends at school would never, ever have had an opportunity to be that honest about who they are. But Mm -hmm. I think it would be really great if you could just tell us a bit about your journey, understanding those identities. I mean, to be honest with you, if I I could, I'd say something other than identities, because it feels even that is... um, is, is separating, but I think as a as a as a as a as a vocabulary, that's what we've got yeah. at the moment. Yeah. No, I
2: I hear I hear you with that. I get what you mean. It's the language that we use around this is always shifting and always changing, and I'm very fascinated by that because there are lots of facets of my identity that yeah. have separate categories, but yeah. all of them are reacting to and merging with one another. So yeah. you know, my identities, and and also I something that I feel really proud of and I see as a massive like um, joy in my life is that so many of my identities kind of fit in in the grey area somewhere so I'm I am a dual heritage person I am like I'm, I'm but I'm largely white passing but you know I have A really important like enriching relationship to my Sri Lankan heritage as much as my British one I am queer and I fit somewhere in the kind of bisexual pansexual sphere Mm -hmm. I am not a straight person but I have lived a lot of my life being perceived as a straight person Um, and I think those nuances of people who are the phrase I use is like in the bisexual soup somewhere Mm -hmm. you know sometimes feeling alienated in uh gay spaces and in straight spaces that's a really mm-hmm. interesting mix and there are lots of parallels I draw between my like dual heritage and my sexuality yeah um I'm non-monogamous I'm I'm not a monogamous person but I'm also I don't really identify myself as a polyamorous person mm-hmm. um non-monogamy like queer is a big like umbrella term so I'm mm. I fit somewhere in between that and that changes a lot of the time mm. and you know, is is an identity that is fluid and constantly evolving Mm. my my relationship with my gender is constantly evolving I don't Mm. feel particularly tied to my identity as a woman that doesn't Mm. mean you know that is still very much a work in progress I like Mm. being a woman but if if I woke up tomorrow and you gave me a different set of pronouns I'd probably be fine with it Mm. so that's that's my that's my attitude to my identity and I think it's been that's that's the way I've been for the last I'd say like six or seven years and before Mm. then I just didn't have the the ability I didn't I didn't see conversations like that happening so I didn't Mm. recognize them within myself Mm. I I am attracted to the binary of like gender um binary opposite gender so Mm. I the world perceived me as straight and for a long time I perceived myself as straight um I I pass as a white person so for for large parts of my life I have been perceived as a white person and and therefore I have I've kind of looked at that as a mirror and seen myself as that and it's taken me and my family a lot of unpicking to to shift that Mm. I I was perceived as a monogamous person because that is the relationship structure that we all inherit and it took Mm. a long time for me to like visibly see other options and identities and you know realign myself and I think that's really fascinating that more and more we're being given opportunities to see things in different ways Mm. I'm so jealous of young people now who Mm. have TikTok uh, because like I I would have I would have recognised my sexuality so much earlier, like a decade earlier, if mm. I had been on TikTok as a teenager.
1: Mm. And
2: that, that is, that's so exciting.
1: The internet and social media, in 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 general, one of the things I picked up in the very first episode that I ever recorded the Happy Vagina was when I was interviewing the cast of Sex Education, and there's the young black man in it, who one of the first moments that he understood that it was okay for him to want to, I guess what would be descri- described as cross dressing, whatever that is, but he, uh, someone drives through his tiny village, and that's what my upbringing was like. We, it was like this was this was all that there was was this the village that I lived in just outside of Bristol. That unless somebody came into that network because it was pre-internet, who represented something other, there was no other to really look at, other than maybe what the papers would, would feed you, and um, you, you know, you're you're now one of the kind of guiding lights in this space and i'm sure that the young people coming through are going to have their own set of stuff to face so let's not be too jealous of them however um well no but we also like it's not about jealousy maybe but it's i'm in
2: awe of the like the the conversations that they have access to and also i'm like really fucking ready to learn from them because we make a massive mistake in not not valuing young people's experiences and opinions (laughs) like we have as much to learn from them as guidance that we can provide so I'm very, very much about like intergenerational education in I think that's Yeah. So in important. your
1: when in your journey, so we've just talked about you kind of the point that you saw something that allowed you to so to to reframe <laughs> really how you perceived yourself in a way and and do you remember was that one significant person or was there a few things that happened that opened your and was it through your work at Brooke or was it through the media it it wasn't really
2: through the media um it took a while I think it's it the media is like I mean we say the media obviously so many different that that is so many different things but I think it's still taking a while for, for for the messages that we see through media outlets to be really diverse and representative of, of like, the, all of them, the, the mm. full spectrum of identities. Mm. Um, and, it, and it wasn't really a specific person. I think it was just lots of people around, especially around six, five, six years ago, I... I found myself um, well, found myself single for the first time in a long time and was able to be on dating apps, which is a thing I'd not had access to before because they started when I was in a relationship and I was, you know, really keen to be on them. And just the vast number of people that I met through that and actually communicating with a really, just like, just opening up my social network was really important. Mm. And... And finding sanctuary in queer spaces, especially in London, was Mm. was a really important thing. And recognizing, I I kind of recognized how how drawn to them I was before I actually recognized myself as a queer person. Mm. I was just like, I love these spaces. I wonder Mm. why. And then, Mm. and you know, it took a while to for that to really sink in. Oh,
1: oh, it's like my meditation. (laughs) This is is my home. This is why I feel calm and safe here. My really happy place. Um,
2: And just, and, you know, reading and absorbing, like, all of the conversations that we're having online and offline, a lot of that was to do with Brooke and, you know, Mm. just working with some absolute, like, sexual health superheroes who communicate about this so well. Mm. And I think, you know, I, coming into my own confidence as well, I was, Mm. I was an incredibly, especially at university age, I was kind of the least confident I've ever been and I Mm. was... My mental health was like massively in the toilet and I just had a terrible couple of years and mm. coming out of that and seeing who I like being able to see who I was again and kind of reintroduce myself to myself. That that kind of that was what was happening around that time. And then mm. all of these different facets of my identity kind of started pinging off and making
1: sense. And in, in that period when your mental health was challenging for you, because I've had that and I think I came out the other side and I thought fuck this i'm not going to pretend to be something i'm not anymore like i i don't i think it's almost like a rebirth when we have a um an episode a severe episode of of a struggle with our mental health if we let it be if we let it be Uh, not not everyone everyone can do that so do you feel that you found your freedom out of a very dark period um
2: i think i mean it happens more gradually than that, it wasn't like a sort of light switch moment of like mm. this. We're talking over the, the course of a couple For of years sure. of recognizing that. But yeah, I guess I mean, it was it was finding finding spaces and finding communities and finding my drive where in ways that felt safe and welcoming.
3: Mm. Like
2: I, you know, I really, I I think, even looking back now, which has not been that long, teaching. Like relationship and sex eds in schools with wonderful brooke colleagues will probably be one of the happiest times of my life yeah like i, I want to look back in 50 years at yeah. that moment and say that was really when things started to click for me yeah because also I, I was terrified of public speaking before i started working for brooke i would shake i would go red i would i would like sometimes get so like nervous that i would feel like i was going to throw up yeah and and it was through working with young people and going into schools and just getting used to that that yeah. I am now able to like stand in front of large crowds and talk about like really intimate, vulnerable, um, like topics <laughs> with sex that we that are you know still very taboo. That that is a part of myself that came alive through sexual health.
1: Wow, so that's I so feel amazing. very grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And I think that what I hear is and there's a couple of things within it, which is that one is. That by coming into alignment with our true self, I think that by coming into alignment with our true self, whatever that is, and that it can change all the time, just to say. But by coming into line with it, I think that some of the shyness that we can experience as human beings or fear starts to be eliminated and also really... You know, being brave enough so even though you were shaking and bright red and very, very nervous, you still did it. And I think that in life we we should do that. If you if you had any tips for... So I've got the community of The Happy Vagina is... Um, we have a lot of young people and we also have a lot of mums. So I just... In terms of this space, which is, um, as you have said, quite a new space over the last five or six years, if there are people listening today who are... Um, starting to be curious about their identity and want to explore what would your, I mean, you've said quite a lot on it already, but if you had any kind of guidance from the work you've done, how yeah, would sure. you? Yeah. Um,
2: I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is about, I think when people begin to question aspects of their identity, there can be a very natural desire for like immediacy and solutions and wanting to know the answer to something straight away and Mm. wanting to put a label on that part of yourself quite quickly and for some people that just happens really quickly for some people like they don't even have to have the conversation they just know whether that's like from very early on or from seeing something like you know Mm. seeing someone else being like oh yeah that's me cool Mm. that makes total sense um, for other people myself included like that that takes a very long time and my advice would be to not to try not to put pressure on yourself to rush that process and mm. if there are other people in your life who are going through that again just trying not to pressure someone for mm. like for an answer for them to have to explain who they are because it's a really vulnerable thing figuring out who you are and like the the performance of what that looks like is often a really unnecessary pressure that we have to we have to fulfill while we're doing actually all of the the real like heavy lifting and figuring out who we are if that makes
1: sense to look after someone else's fear essentially if you're trying to kind of fast forward in order to keep other people safe it's like don't be codependent or to to feel like you know immediately you then
2: have to prove it or you have to solidify it you have to like you know sign Mm. some kind of a symbolic contract saying that that's who you are and that's never going to change you know all all of this is changing and evolving um and I think it's really important to find other people who share aspects of your identity because it's really hard when you are the like you feel like you're the only person in your world who is is carrying this it starts to feel like a heavy burden when actually when you in my experience when you have other people around you who are also carrying that it's not a burden anymore it's something that you it's something that you relish in carrying around with you yeah and especially when people are younger and that is why you know for all its many 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 flaws social media is can be a really powerful tool in connecting you to other people who
3: Mm.
2: are experiencing similar things and Mm. also connecting you to people who are experiencing really different things and just Mm. you know educating yourself you know growing that empathy section of your identity of your being mm. because we we shouldn't just be learning about the parts of the world that relate to us mm. it's really nice to you know have some understanding of different topics because you're bound to have people in your life who experience them and you want to be able to have a bit of knowledge when when they come to you with those things
1: it's so weird isn't it because actually the truth is is that people try and lock everything down so that they feel safe but actually safety comes in 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 having an open mind like surely the more open-minded you are the safer you are actually because then nothing's really a threat it's like oh that's that and that's that and I don't need to be threatened by anything because I don't feel that my identity not sexual but my identity as a human being as a whole including sexual is is dependent on on other people doing what i need them to do to make me have an understanding of the world hold
0: up
1: So I think sure. you know, just your—you've got this phenomenal book, um, which I've got and I dip into and I dip out of, uh, Sex Ed, uh, which reminds me of the book that was on my my parents' shelves. It used to just bring me great fear as a child. They had the Sex Ed. What was the Sex Ed book in the seventies? The really famous that, The Joy one? of Sex. The Joy of Sex. Yeah. Yeah. So my parents. I've got I've got a copy. I think I think
2: it's my dad's own copy actually, and it's a really interesting read because there are some bits that are still. It was such a progressive book at the time, and there are some things that still ring really true, and there are other things that are fucking outrageous and so dated, <laughs> and so like the section on bisexuality. Oh my god, is just appalling. <laughs> so is it? it just those. Well, I mean, and some bits they get right, but a lot of it, you're just like, whoa, there were just not the tools to have this conversation right now, and you are not the right person to be writing this section because you clearly are not a person who has any understanding of this. Um, so that's, and, and you know, also that's, a, I, I really enjoy that because as someone who has written a sex ed guide for adults in the same way as The Joy of Sex has done, but 50 years on, like, I am fully ready for in 50 years time, the book that I have uh, brought out to yeah. feel really dated and re- and people be like, I know where they were coming from, but Gosh, okay, things have changed now. That's that's how we evolve. That's a positive thing.
1: And do you think some of the reasons? So I'm I'm a really big fan of not bashing the past too much. I'm 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 not a fan of the patriarchy, but I sort of feel like. Well that happened there were reasons why things like that happened some of them were um to put women down and some were also to do with a lack of science for example do you think that one of the things that has changed dramatically in terms of sexual identity is that we have more scientific understanding of how people are made like from the outset
2: potentially but but there's still i I don't think we have nearly as, as much scientific research especially on like reproductive organs and bodies and hormones of people with vulvas and vaginas and a womb because um you know the the anatomy of the clitoris was only discovered in the late 90s you know that's that's outrageous uh... (laughs) that's completely outrageous and even though there's loads of kind of taboo wrapped up in homophobia around prostates and prostate pleasure they'll you know we've had over a hundred years of absolute protection of the prostate in the medical community and people going out of their way to, to to not interfere with the prostate during different types of surgery in a way that that has and that has just been completely disregarded when we when we think about the clitoris or about like other parts of the anatomy of like sort of cis female or like AFAB anatomy. And that is due to ignorance as well as all of the social bullshit and kind of oppression that g- comes under these bodies. Mm-hmm. But we still, you know, even, even recently, the whole conversation about blood clots with one of the COVID vaccines and comparing that to the the risk of blood clots on certain hormonal contraceptives. Mm is out is outrageous we Mm. you know a lot of this is is due to the lack of science but we've not yet shifted into a space so we have more informed ways of doing things because of the newer science and I think that I hope that that shift is starting and happening but it's not you know it's still it's still a very underrepresented Mm. aspect of like scientific study Mm. we're still people are still not investing as much in my opinion or about like the sexual aspects of our bodies and mm. i want more of it please
1: mm, mm yes me too me too uh ruby uh, alongside uh, being a champion of people deeply finding who they really are in terms of their sexual identity you're also a really big champion of people finding who they are in terms of being naked and really getting to know their involvers and just basically you know celebrating i i i i grew up along with the joys of sex being in my family home I grew up on naturist camps. So this area for me, I'm really interested in. I, I grew up going to naturist camps every summer with my parents until we got to about 13 or 14. And my parents said to us, where would you like to go on holiday? And I was like, Florida. daytona beach disneyland not the naked place (laughs) enough of the naked please no more naked it was the men running on the beach that i used to find slightly challenging and i still do the vision of the of the of the naked runners but i'm sure that that's probably not the right response can you just say a little bit about your work in this space because i think it's very important
2: well i don't think there's a right or a wrong response as long as you're as long as you're not shaming other people's bodies Mm. you're you know you're allowed to find nudity uncomfortable you're allowed mm. to not feel like I so about three years ago um, myself and one of my best friends in the whole world and my work wife Rosie Pendle baby started a Body Love Sketch Club which is a life drawing space that's all about body positivity and creative empowerment so we have been running those classes ever since we're, we're almost three and for the last year we've been running them virtually which has been such a like we've really surprised ourselves at how well that's worked and how we can still create this really gorgeous community and you know feel very connected when everyone has been touch starved for a whole year mm. and rosie and i are both people who love being naked and who feel very connected to ourselves and who feel very true to ourselves when we're naked i i have more problems with the ways that I view my body when certain clothes are put onto my body because Mm. they they represent kind of expectations of what my body should look like or should how it should be Mm. whereas if I'm not wearing anything it's just myself it's just Mm. me there's no there's no kind of social dictation of of what my body should be doing or being it's just existing as it is Mm. that that's what I love and for people who Feel intrigued by that? I really, Rosie, and I really encourage people to to do that, to try that out. But also, I have like we absolutely understand that loads of people don't feel like they are their most powerful when they're naked, and that's also completely like not only is it okay, that's really crucial with with body positivity and with sex positivity. The danger can be we end up being really prescriptive of like, mm. okay, well. You have to love your body. You have to feel comfortable with your body in a mm-hmm. bikini or when you're nude or whatever. You have to be super, like pleasure focused and want to try all these amazing sexual things and do do all this stuff. Like you don't have to do any of that. stuff. Mm-hmm. you you can be sex positive and not have sex. You mm-hmm. can be sex positive and have a really challenging relationship with your own desire mm-hmm. and pleasure. Mm-hmm. You can you can be body positive or body neutral or body accepting and I'm really really not like the idea of being nude around anyone mm. you know that that that's totally okay mm. we're we're just providing a space where people can play with that and can look at themselves and look at other people with mm. joy and compassion and, and curiosity because we mm. we often when it comes to bodies as well as sex we I just think so so much of the time we're, we're taught to, to be really serious around this stuff mm. and I find that kind of boring bodies mm. are funny bodies are weird and silly and I want to be able to laugh with my body and with other people's bodies and that be like a happy enriching space and not mm. have to be critical or like in a in a position where I where I feel compelled to change my body or to do anything differently I just want to be um and I feel very proud of us for making a space where we get to do that and and other people get to do that as well
1: mm i think it's an amazing thing that that you're doing the um you've touched on on pleasure a little bit then and i just wondered we have probably some of the most frequent questions that we 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 are asked at, at the happy vagina and in our community which is which is growing quite rapidly and it's a really amazing amazing community of predominantly women and i would suggest predominantly cis women at the moment um but the the pressures on women to orgasm uh so this space that you and I are working in probably 2 years ago i i sort of realized that this conversation around pleasure is was starting to make some women feel uncomfortable because it was something even 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 just even just the conversation about pleasure not even orgasm but just about pleasure was 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 um blocking for some people like they they felt that they didn't have a space within it that somehow or other that they weren't a a human being if they couldn't be in it so somehow the campaign voice isolates some people out of it and then leading on from that I've started to realize because I get daily messages from women uh, on our Instagram feed just saying I can't reach orgasm and I just, I've really loved what you've said today and I feel that you've really got your finger on the pulse of acceptance and um, that you're a really free and deep thinker around, around allowing people to be who they are. And I just wondered in, in those two spaces, pleasure and orgasm, what your thoughts are around it for women. For everyone, not just for women, for human beings. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: easy to say this when you are able to experience orgasms even though that might be a, a difficult thing just if you are able to point blank at some point um so I I know that this is oversimplifying it but I but I really believe that we put way too much emphasis on orgasm when we talk about pleasure mm. I I, like it took me a really long time to have an orgasm for the first time and I totally remember that feeling of just like oh god everyone else is at the orgasm party and I'm not invited and I'm never going to be there and that's really hard and you know for lots of people uh that is that is an experience regardless of I feel so excited that that's that,
1: Thank you for saying that. Because I think oh, yeah I, I don't I mean, possibly you have said it and I've just never heard it, but I feel really reassured by that. Thank you for being so honest about it. Because um I think I, honestly, I'm like, oh, she's got it down. <laughs> she knows how to do all no. that. Well, there's that massive it like I've got a
2: couple of my pals who were also like in the sex educator field we've just been having some really interesting conversations about like not having sex recently and having, or like just having no feeling loads of pressure of bit of like being people who talk about sex a lot. Yeah. But actually the last year being incredibly hard yeah. to, to feel sexual, whether that's on your own, whether that's yeah. with a partner or partners um, it's, it's not, it's a conversation I'm always interested in having, but me personally, like I have been, maybe my least sexual in the last year Mm. and as soon as I started to talk to other people about that and realized that other people were having similar experiences and and also just talking about it so even if no one else I knew was having similar experiences I just felt more confident in my own experience as soon as I recognized that I've stopped worrying about it as much because I'm just it's where I'm at right now I'm sure it will change because my desire and like appetite for sex has constantly ebbed and flowed in my life um ebbed and flowed in my life mm. and you know the ease at which I have experienced pleasure has changed mm. and it's very easy to think of where you're at now as a fixed point and some and the space that you're just going to be in forever and that's not the case it mm. this this stuff changes constantly and again rather than trying to measure yourself your whether that's around orgasm or pleasure and mm. desire kind of a in a wider context when we start to judge ourselves against other people that's when that's when a lot of the shame and guilt and expectations can come in if you just if you look at yourself
3: Mm.
2: you've got the ability to to explore sex for yourself in a way that feels comfortable to you and if that includes orgasms or doesn't right now that will probably change. There will probably be a time in your life where orgasms are less of a prominent feature in your sex life. There'll probably be a time in your life where they're more of a prominent feature in your sex life. And that that change is feels very liberating to me because mm. I it just stops me feeling guilty as much.
1: Mm. Mm. That's really beautiful. Do you did you put an enormous amount of pressure on yourself so you've just said that for a long time in your life orgasm was not a prominent feature in your sex life do you did you put pressure on yourself to to find that climax yeah absolutely and the
2: and the harder I tried the harder it was the more difficult and unlikely it was
1: mm. and you
2: know i was I was experiencing pressure for myself as well as from partners mm. there's there's a lot of expectation that like our bodies should just work easily and there's also Mm. a lot of emphasis on the physical mechanics of like
3: Mm. what
2: you should be rubbing or pressing or licking Mm. and actually I think an ability to orgasm more than the stuff that's going down on in your pants is everything that's going up in your head yeah like it's it's about being able to find ways to unwind and be present and kind of shed those expectations as much as possible mm. Um I do I talk about this more in my book and mm. I, I also the real like bible of this is come as you are which is by Emily Nagoski so mm. if people are resonating with this and want to learn more um mm. there's a lot of advice in my book and in Emily's as well
1: it's funny isn't it because somehow or other we've um I'm generalizing when I say weave I'm not even sure who I mean by weave but I'm going to roll with it but we've sort of lost the the message that Sexual intimacy should just be about being present and connection with each other. Mm -hmm. Really, that should be the starting point. Like, can I actually, outside of my busy day when I'm running around and now we have emails and the internet and all the other things that are going on, can I actually feel the energy of this person? Can I let them into my energetic zone? Can I feel them physically? And all of those things don't seem to be the conversation it's more about the the as you've you said at the beginning I think to do with the way we're educated at school it's about as Alex says the pole in the hole um, it's um it's really good to hear you talk about that stuff so honestly and for me you've really helped me I find I, I am someone who can achieve orgasm but I do notice that within my intimate relationships so when I'm actually with a partner I often feel um a level of shame about how long it takes me you know it's kind of Mm -hmm. and I have to work quite hard to be like you know this it's okay that that's how my body works but somehow or other thanks to the film industry we have this idea that it happens like that and the more conversations that we can have where we're honest and say it doesn't happen like that i think the better for all human beings for for for, yeah. for 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 no matter what their their walk of life the other thing that i just wanted to touch on was at the beginning you were talking about consent and i again within this space i find i just i would like to kind of end up with you talking about that because i'm finding it really challenging ruby because i'm not um i'm not one to walk in the front door and tear my partner's clothes off my, that's not how my um It's not how my sexual energy works. Generally, I kind of need a bit of nudging and sort of, you know, and and, and kind of sometimes some cajoling and often quite a lot of foreplay. And and I take my time with it. It's just who I am as a person. And um, some of the messaging at the moment is... So I saw something, I think it was on Instagram, that said if someone asks you to the cinema and that person says no, no means no. And I looked at it and I thought, is this insane? Because, like in terms of getting i suppose i don't want to get too political about it but in terms of getting our needs met as human beings i think sometimes someone says no and we have to ask again don't we well it's a,
2: it, i mean there's not one no right it's it's really it's really exactly. oversimplifying to to like just take language you know language is one way of communicating and it's in many ways the clearest way of communicating and mm. i i do think it's important that we take what is coming out of people's mouths as yes. as what they are wanting and what they are intending. Yes. Um you know, we can't we can't be inter we can't choose to interpret someone's no or yes in a different way. That like and and also if you take someone's no as a no, you've not lost, you know, that's fine. You've just not done a thing. That's not the end of the world. Yeah. You know, you can go to the cinema another day. You can have yeah. sex another day. Yeah. Um but I consent is not a consent is a conversation. It's not mm. a statement. It's mm. and it's something I think when we when you put pleasure at the, the heart of consent, mm. it's really about having a conversation and communicating through sex before, after, the whole the whole time. It's all, it's all about consent, um, communicating about what you are might be interested in what you are wanting from your partner what you might be like wanting from them and you're you're kind of creating and building something from that and and we all communicate in different ways and we all take a different amount of time to communicate and so giving people that space and time is really important but yeah i guess there there are most of the time, if some, if I ask someone to go to the cinema with me and they said no, I'd say, okay, cool. No, yeah. that's fine. And yeah. and maybe I'd say, that's fine. Like, if you change your mind, let me know. But ra- rather than go back and challenge the no, that suddenly feels quite, that suddenly goes into an aggressive territory. Mm-hmm. None, none of us are here to change other people's minds. So we you can, can give space for that to, to change. Yeah. We, can, we can, like, I think that... Let me know if you change your mind or let yeah. me know if you want to talk about this again. That's yeah. fine. But like putting putting that in the other, like putting the agency to continue that conversation in the other person's ball ballpark, whatever. Yeah. I don't know the phrase. Um, that feels really important to me. And you can, an you can like open it up again. You can send that invitation out of being like, mm. hey, remember when we spoke about the cinema the other day? Mm. Um, how are you feeling about it now? Would you like to talk about it again? Yeah. Or like, would you like to talk about it another time? Yeah, but that that isn't challenging someone's no, is it? Yeah. That's, that's a different thing.
1: Yeah, because I, I I love that consent is a conversation. Thank you. I mean, literally, I that that is the best thing I've heard this year so far. Consent is a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's you know a quality of curiosity. Consent is a conversation. And you can always invite again and say the door is still open for you. And that's in all aspects of life, not just about going to the cinema, but also sexually. Ruby, thank you so much for giving us your time. I think that that is a really, really beautiful place for us to end today. I feel really lucky to know you. And I know that our community is going to get a huge amount of value from this episode and all your exquisite insights. Oh, thank you.
2: Yeah, it's been, it's been really nice to talk about this and kind of take, take these conversations out on my brain and, and say them out loud again, because they're different every time I say them, which is quite fun. <laughs>
1: well, you are one hell of a free spirit. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. Just for today, you're a free spirit. Maybe tomorrow you won't be. Let's <laughs> maybe, let's. Who knows? Let's, let's try Unlikely, give... but <laughs> <laughs> but I just I really love this idea of just being able to really deeply let go of this thing about trying to say this is who we are as a as a person. You know, maybe 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 next year you will be something completely different, and I would welcome that. um So thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you, thank you,
2: thank you. Yeah.